Welcome to Rusk Insights on Rehabilitation Medicine, a top podcast featuring interviews with thought leaders in the field of PM&R from Rusk Rehabilitation at NYU Langone Medical Center and other prominent rehab medicine institutions. Your host for these interviews is Dr. Tom Elwood. He will take you behind the scenes to look at what is transpiring in the exciting world of rehabilitation research and clinical services through the eyes of those involved in making dynamic breakthroughs in healthcare. So listen, learn, and enjoy. I would like to welcome back our listeners to part two of an interview with Mr. Pierre Lucien. So, Mr. Lucien, welcome to you, too, and let's begin where we left off at the end of the first part of the interview. Last time, we discussed various topics, including what happened in your life following amputation of your two legs. Life for everyone tends to consist of both some good and some bad days. As an amputee, from that perspective, what do you consider to be both a good day and a bad day? Well, a good day for me is when I can wake up in the morning and just be thankful that I'm actually breathing and I'm actually given a second chance of life. And after going through what I've been through, just waking up every day is, is, is a good day for me. But after saying that, being a good day as an amputee itself is just putting on my prosthetic legs and putting them on straight, making sure I can walk and walking fluidly and just no malfunctions. As an amputee being a bad day, it's just having your legs not function well, having your limbs fluctuate in size, and just hurting. And that's what I would consider as a bad day, being an amputee. But also, a lot of people feel like being an amputee and walking and people staring and people talking would be a, a bad day. But to me, that's actually a good day because I look at it like just another opportunity to teach a person what it is to be an amputee, especially when kids look and some parents say, oh, look away, it's rude to, to look. No, I just correct the parents and say, no, it's okay to look, it's, it's okay to ask questions. And I just take it as an opportunity to teach not only the parents, but the kids to say, you know what, you can ask any questions you want. I'm here to answer it. Now that's a real positive outlook. Following your surgery, how much time elapsed before you were prescribed the prostheses and then you began trying to use them? After my surgery, it took about a year. To, uh, as I mentioned before, I had to have my last surgery to attach my abdominal muscles. And from that point on, about a year after the surgery, that's when I was prescribed my first prosthesis. And at that time, it was just a mechanical knee and it wasn't something that I can really confidently walk in, but it was just something that I can just rehab with, get stronger with. Not until 2009, two years after my surgery, that I got my first prosthetic that I was able to walk in, which is called the C-Leg microprocessor computer knee. And that's when I really started walking and working on my endurance and how far I could walk, if I could bend down, if I could pick stuff up. And that's when I started really doing my rehab and walking. How long did it take you to accommodate yourself to having prosthetic limbs? 
And was the rehabilitation program itself geared to determining how satisfactorily this accommodation was taking place? When you're in rehab as an outpatient, they are geared to help you focus on walking and your balance. But the only downside, I would say, when it came to rehab and the, and the therapist were you just feel like you're in a bubble and they are focusing on you not ever falling. And that was the only downside when I was going through the rehab process. I wanted to fall because I wanted to be able to learn how to get back up. And I kept telling them, I said, you know what? I'm like a baby all over again. And now having kids, I just watch my kids and I say, you know what? That's exactly what I was talking about. Once the kids fall, they get back up. They learn how to get back up. As they keep falling, they understand, okay, what to do so I won't have to fall again. And that's why I kept saying as an outpatient, I just need to learn how to fall. And you know what? After a while, they understood. And they said, you know what, Pierre, you need to fall. You know, as I was learning how to walk and I would fall, and they'll look at me and say, oh, it's just Pierre that's falling. So I just changed a little the mindset of the therapist as I was going to outpatient. And I don't know if they changed their program because of how I was trying to learn how to walk, but I know that I wanted to learn how to fall first. I didn't want to learn how to balance. I didn't want to learn how to go up the stairs or go down the stairs. I wanted to know if I ever fall in the middle of the street, especially in New York City, if you fall in the middle of the street, it could be deadly. I would know how to get back up. And that's how my outpatient therapy started. And that's how I got to the point I am today. It seems like the falling should be an essential part of the teaching process and maybe begin it by being in a room where there's a big soft foam rubber surface or something. And this would be especially true for very elderly people too. So there's a right way of falling and a wrong way of falling. You do it the wrong way, you can break your hand, your elbow, you can smash your head against the floor or any of these other things. So it really seems like it should be a routine part of the education process recognizing the day may come when you will fall, let's make sure you fall in the following manner rather than another way where you're just going to hurt yourself severely. Well, with Russ, which I credit him for who I am today and my independency right now, I guess it's a liability thing. I really didn't understand at that point where if you do fall, there's a lot of paperwork involved and everything else. But I wanted them to teach me how to fall on my prosthesis first and everything else come later. I guess I was trying to do it backward. They did have a, I mean, they had a belt around my waist and they would catch me if I was about to fall. And I, and I just tried to say, no, just let me fall. I'm not elderly, but I know if I'm falling, naturally I would have to roll or protect the, the vital parts of my body, my arms or my head. So I tried to make them understand that, look, I know I have to protect my body, but I just want to know if I do fall, how to get back up. And that's how my training started. Well, that was 10 or 11 years ago. And today, throughout the medical world, all we hear is the importance of patient-centered care and shared decision-making so that patients are part of all of these conversations and discussions. So here it sounds like you were initiating this. You were pointing out something that you thought was really important for you. 
And eventually they came to realize that this is something perhaps that should be built into how we educate patients and make sure that they're prepared to deal with any type of problem that they're going to face once they're outside of the hospital, even in the hospital. I guess even today, one of the biggest problems for elderly people in the hospital setting, and it leads to mortality, is that they fall while they're in the hospital somewhere, and they crack their head, and they can't make it afterwards, and they end up dying. So what you described is, is really quite important, and I'm glad you brought this up. Now, you also mentioned the bad day and some aspects of it. Some patients may experience pain, rubbing irritation, sores, blisters, or perhaps even infections when a prosthetic device exerts pressure on a limb's soft tissue. Have you had any of those problems? And if so, how do you cope with them? I've never had any sores. But sores also come into play when your actual socket, which is the cast that goes over your residual limb, is not properly fitted. The way I describe practitioner that makes your socket is that not every practitioner are, are made equally, just like not every doctor are, are you know, made equally. So the first thing, if somebody is experiencing sores or any bruises, on their residual limb is to actually go back to your practitioner and let them know like, okay, this is not supposed to happen and to have them adjust it. But if it does happen, the way to fix that is to every night clean your sockets. Every time you're about to put your, your sockets on, inspect your residual limb to make sure, press on it, massage it, make sure there's no soreness, any pimples, any ingrown hairs, inspect just like any other thing in life. You have to inspect your limbs before you put that socket on because that socket should be on your legs if, for most of the day and you'll be sweating and that's how bacteria get in. If you do have a cut and you didn't notice. So that's how, what I'm saying is how to prevent sores or any cuts. But if you do have it, you have to go to your practitioner and let them know, look, this is not supposed to happen. I need to get this done and, and fixed immediately. Once prosthetics are fitted and an individual begins using them, is there any maintenance involved such that they might need regular adjustments? And if so, how often does that occur? And does insurance cover the costs of going back to have that kind of work done? So once spent on the prosthetic, they usually have a warranty for maybe two, three, five years. If it's within the warranty, the practitioner will send it back to the manufacturer and they'll fix it. But if it's out of warranty, then your practitioner will submit it to insurance. And if the insurance feel like the repair cost is too expensive, they'll issue a new prosthetic with a warranty where they don't have to keep fixing that same prosthetic knee again or ankle. When it comes to sockets, which is what is attached to the knee or the ankle, your practitioner will, once they make it, they are liable to always fix it or do adjustments as needed. Sometimes you fluctuate in weight and your socket doesn't fit well, then they'll do cutouts or they'll make you a new one. Or if you lose weight and your sockets are coming off, then they'll put, you know, padding inside the sockets where to hold your legs on to the point where it won't, it won't fall off or it becomes unsafe. But now if it's a, a point where it's 
too unsafe that it may cause you to fall or any other sores, as we mentioned before, then your practitioner will submit a new claim to get new sockets made for your legs and they can justify it based off weight gain or weight loss. Prostheses may be satisfactory in some situations, but not all the time. For example, if you try to carry anything heavy, does the prosthetic need to be adjusted? And if so, are you able to make those kinds of changes? Well, the prosthesis I have now are, well, it is one of the best in the market where I can actually adjust it with a remote control to where I can have more resistance, I can lock it, or if I have to hold something that is real heavy, because every prosthetic have a weight limit, including my weight and whatever weight I'm carrying, I have to make that adjustment with the remote control. I have to make that adjustment with the remote control. So if I have to stiffen the, the resistance of the, the hydraulic or if I have to loosen it, I can make those adjustments. But if I'm carrying something heavy for a long period of time, there are prosthetics that doesn't require weight, that doesn't require you to move the joints of the prosthetic or just one straight stiff leg where, and you are lowered to the ground where you don't have to worry about any buckling, any resistance, any hydraulic malfunction. It's just basically like a pylon attached to the bottom of your limb with the socket that you're able to do whatever you want to do confidently. Similarly, if you encounter uneven ground or a flight of stairs, what kinds of challenges are involved, such as perhaps feeling a loss of balance? And what do you do in those kinds of situations? Well, with the prosthesis I have now, like I said, there are top-of-the-line prosthesis. It makes it a little easier going down the stairs. You exert less energy based off the function. The leg actually helps you go down the stairs. Going up the stairs, it's the same thing. There's functions, there's techniques that I will do to help me ascend to go up the stairs. They'll actually help me go up the stairs. But it does exert a lot of energy. And a person that doesn't really strengthen the residual limb as much as I do, it'll be a more difficult time for them to do those different tasks. But it's possible. But you just have to work on it. And you do exert a lot more energy as compared to if you had your regular legs. Mr. Lucian, I will conclude part two of this interview by thanking you for sharing your insights with our listeners about your experiences as a patient who had both legs amputated. A third part of this interview will be made available on a separate occasion, and our listeners are invited to access it also. Thank you again for joining us. You can learn more about Rusk at nyulangone.org slash Rusk. Also, be sure to follow this podcast on Twitter at Rusk Podcast.